the most useful piece of advice I'd give someone starting a media company is that you're not supposed to do this alone. You're building for a community and you're building a product they need. So bring them into the process with you. They are your stakeholders and they will help you build and grow deliberately and meaningfully. I so agree. That's our friend Masuma Ahuja on building product with your community rather than doing what most of us do, which is build all alone, in secret, in the dark. Masuma is so cool, right, Alan? Yeah, she's really amazing. She runs Girlhood, if you've not seen it yet. It's a platform for girls around the internet to tell their stories. And she brings us to our second School of Splice Foundation class, which is how to create a product strategy that serves your audience. The School of Splice wants to help you build a viable media business. I'm Rishad, one of the co-founders of Splice. And I'm Alan, the other co-founder. So if you're building a media business today, you need to start thinking about what your products are. And for that, you need a product strategy. And we're here to help you figure that out. And for Masuma, her product is her community. Here's how this works. If you're new to the School of Splice, this might be useful. Feel free to listen to this lesson all in one go, but a better way might be to break it up into easy to digest chunks. Some bits are pretty simple, which means you can take the dog for a walk or maybe wash those dishes. And some bits might need a little more focus, like if we suggest stuff to write or fill in. Maybe get yourself a quiet room and a paper and pen, and definitely some coffee. Alan, I thought a good way to begin might be to see how other businesses think about product and why they do what they do. Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster, for example. It was the ridiculous late fees. Uber didn't kill the taxi business. It was limited access and fare control. Apple certainly didn't kill the music industry, although they get blamed for that a lot. It was being forced to buy full-length albums. I mean, I only wanted three songs, invariably. Amazon didn't appear to kill other retailers. It was poor customer service, it was poor customer experience, it was limited product, and Airbnb wasn't about killing the hotel industry. Let's face it, it was the limited availability and pricing options that contributed to that. They gave people what they needed. And you know, I think what's really interesting here is that technology itself was not the disruptor in all of these cases. So the biggest threat to the business is failing to give people what they want. If we're going to be in media for the next 10 years, we need to understand how to give people what they want. So find out where the gaps are, define the problem, test the solution, make it valuable. That's right. That's your first step, your default mindset to building a successful media product by asking people what they want and then translating that into a unique, useful, relevant, and ultimately a valuable solution. I guess a good way to think about this is to pretend you're Henry Ford, who famously said this thing that nobody can really verify. He said, if I'd asked the people what they wanted, they'd have asked for a faster horse. But he saw where the gaps were. He translated that to a solution, and he called it the Model T motor car, or so the story goes. And the rest, of course, is history and the climate crisis. But remember how we're defining product here. It's anything that uses content to serve a person's needs or wants. So let's take a moment here so that you can make some notes for yourself. Hit pause. Write up what you know to be specific needs that are unmet in media and what you think you can do about it. It can be rough, so don't worry about it, but take a moment to think it through and come back later.
Welcome back. Those of us who work in media often describe what we do as a calling, as a duty and responsibility to society. Great media products come from thinking about what you do as a service, not just to those you speak for, not just to those whose stories you tell, but to those who actually read, listen, watch, and scroll through what you do. And they do this because they want to be informed or entertained, or because they need to make better decisions about their lives. So great media products come from understanding how you can be of service to your audiences. But in order to think about service, you first need to find a problem to solve. And how do we think about user problems? Here's a great thing to remember. It's about the user. A user problem is not, how do I bring more people to my website? Or how do I get more listeners for my podcast? Those are not user problems. Those are your problems. They're still valid problems. But what we're saying here is that you can't build a product strategy around them. Focus on what you're hearing in the community around you. Let's think about what a user problem actually sounds like. Maybe they could be like this. My government just announced a new budget, but I can't figure out how it affects my family. Or how do I find other single parents who have figured out how to raise their kids and have a career? Or simply, where do I figure out which vaccine to get? We tend to talk about design thinking a lot. Here's a quick note on design thinking. It has nothing to do with what something looks like. It's about how something works. Design thinking is a process that seeks to solve complex problems in a very user-centric way. So design for viable media is also known as giving people what they want. So how do we think about what our audiences want? How do we build products that meet those needs? And how do we build something that's valuable enough to pay for? Let's take a quick minute to understand why building good media products is such a big deal right now. In a crowded marketplace, your competition isn't the other publication with that competing story or competing podcast or website. It's everything that competes for your user's attention, right on her phone, including her texting, all her social stuff, her games, and the apps she's using. Our friend Jane Marnie, who runs Reader Revenue at Crikey in Australia, has this perfect insight. Whether readers are consciously aware of it or not, they're comparing our product to every other online experience that they're having, whether that's provided by an organisation that has you know, millions and millions of dollars in their budget or one that only has a few thousand. That's right. Every other online experience is your competition. There's more from Jane coming up later, but let's look at how people in other newsrooms are thinking about products in their markets. We have four super quick case studies. One, let's look at how the New York Times thinks about products. In a job ad they put out in 2019, the New York Times had the following description for an entrepreneur in residence. It said, the person had to identify, define, and build essential products to meet the market opportunity. They also had to define the product and business model to build the team and devise and manage the overall execution plan. The job ad also said that the ultimate product will blend utility with editorial value and stand alone as a business. The product had to be global. It also had to have organic growth potential. And I thought this was really interesting. The product needed to, quote, maximize frequency through utility and habit building. So to summarize... You've got to find a problem or market opportunity. You've got to build product market fit by creating a product to solve that problem. You make sure there's a sound business model in place. You hire the right people to manage it. You make sure it can grow globally. 
And then you make sure the product is useful. I mean, they mention the word utility twice in that ad. And I think that job ad is one of the best descriptions of how we should think about building media products. Exactly. So second, let's take a look at how the information in San Francisco thinks about products and services. So this one was was really quite mind-blowing for me. So as we all know, their main offering is basically a tech news subscription service, right? And from that comes a membership model that gives you access to commenting on their website. They also have org charts of tech companies that they report on so that you can see how these chains of command work. There's also a Slack channel for insiders, regular conference calls with their reporters and people they're reporting on, and of course, events. They figured out all these amazing things, you know, that their user base is segmented into people who want different things. They want access, they want validation, they want data, community, voice, insights. And all of this comes in different formats that have been repeatedly tested and iterated for all these user groups. And intriguingly, while original tech business news is the backbone of their business, it's not the only product. I just want to move on to our friends at Frontier Myanmar and how they think about products. So a little background. In Myanmar, media organizations like Frontier are struggling because they're unable to rely on advertising revenue or high circulations. It's a familiar story. This affects their ability to resist pressure from the government, commercial partners, and readers, all while trying to maintain editorial independence. And with the double whammy of COVID and the coup, it became even more urgent for them to diversify the business away from the ad-driven model to safeguard that vital editorial voice. So what do you do if you're Frontier? You already have a community. Now you've got to build a membership program. How do you go about building it? Well, you start by asking the community. So in 2019, they ran a bunch of focus groups with their users and discovered a few things about what people want from them. It sounded like this bit from one of their focus group sessions that we recorded in Yangon. You're making sure that certain voices are heard. And giving people voice here is you know, quite challenging sometimes. Particularly digging out and trying to work out how are the right people to speak to. I mean, so many, one of the things is you're actually doing a lot of the things that we would like to do. So the question is, how can you do it even more successfully? So what do we learn? We realized that members buy into a mission. They wanted to support the independent journalism of Frontier, especially in a country where this is becoming an increasingly rare commodity. So Frontier began work on three newsletters designed specifically for the audience's needs. One was on daily news, Second one was on local media monitoring, translated into English. And third was a parliamentary proceeding newsletter. How do we know that these newsletter products were designed for Frontier's audience? Because they actually asked people about products they wanted before they set up their membership program. And then they tested them relentlessly. Frontier's membership program continues to iterate and grow. And it's quickly become not just a significant source of revenue, but a profound shift towards a user-centric, product-focused mindset in their newsroom. So here's super quick case study number four, how Radio Ambulante in the U.S. thinks about products. Daniel Alacon, the co-founder of this journalism podcast, saw a curious trend in his audience data. 20% of their listeners were using their stories to learn Spanish. He wondered what they could do better to serve them. So they end up building an app called Lupa. Lupa is an app that does this amazing thing. It helps you learn Spanish by using the journalism of Radio Ambulante. So you're learning Spanish as it's really spoken. But why would a news organization build a language app? 
because it gives an entirely new potential audience a chance to hear the amazing journalism that Radio Ambulante does. Also, you're offering people a way into your core news product by giving them a solution to the problem they already had, learning Spanish while you listen to the news. So that kind of reminds me of the New York Times. As you know, Rishad, one of the biggest drivers to bring in new paid subscribers are the crossword and cooking apps. So that's a really interesting way of looking at this stuff. Let's quickly summarize some of this here by asking some, some of the right questions we think that you should be asking. Number one, who is this content for? Two, how do I reach that person? Three, what do I want that person to do with that content? Four, how do I start a conversation with that person? Five, how do I include that person in a community of loyal customers? All right, that's quite a bit to digest. So hit pause, take a moment, make some notes for yourself, and come back. This product stuff is often quite hard, mainly because it's so easy to miss that one vital component, your audience. Us media founders have limited time, money, and bandwidth, and it's easy to get a product strategy wrong because it isn't always obvious. We often tend to focus on what the cool kids are doing, we should do a podcast. Everybody's doing a podcast. Let's do Clubhouse. Everyone's at Clubhouse. Who are we making our stories for? Everybody. But everybody isn't a good description of how users and interest groups and problems and niches behave in the real world. We spoke to our friend Patricia Torres-Bird at Media Development Investment Fund, and she says it's all about purpose. The one thing media founders often get wrong when they approach investors is not fully understanding the audience they serve, and to my earlier point, the competition they face. You cannot be all things to all people. Finding your niche and purpose provides added value if you think about your audience first and foremost. All right, almost there. So let's ask some really inconvenient questions to help you figure out niche and purpose, as Pat had described it. First, why do people read, watch, or listen to you? Two, what do people need that only you can provide? Three, would people notice if you weren't around tomorrow? So let's break down the process of building your media product. Where do you begin? You begin by asking questions and by listening. Remember that rule of thumb we spoke about earlier? It's about a service to the user. It's about the user's problem. Not your problem, not your website or podcast, the user. So making great products is all very well, but who actually does this? Does every newsroom really need a product manager? Or is that person actually right there in your team and you didn't even know about it? It's pretty simple to describe what a product manager does. It's someone who speaks for your audience. They are the voice of your user in your own newsroom. Jane Money again, nailed it here. So what role does a product manager play in media? Ooh, this is a big one because product manager can mean so many different things. But I think what what all product managers have in common, particularly in newsrooms, is that they're an advocate for the audience. You know, we know that the business model in a lot of news orgs have changed over the last 10 years. Who speaks for your audience in your newsroom? Some of the best product managers we've seen aren't always trained in that role. They're journalists that are just way more user-oriented than a lot of us. We'll have more on this in stack five of our full stack course, which is all about careers. Let's revisit what we said earlier on about what threatens your media business. It isn't technology. It isn't AI and VR and Bitcoin. In fact, technology itself is not the disruptor. The biggest threat to your media business is failing to give your audiences 
your people what they want. So if we're going to build a viable media business, we need to understand how to ask people what they want and translate that into utility, relevance, and value. Our friend Janok at Thibi sums it up really well. I think media companies these days are starting to adopt a product mindset, which is great. Remember that unlike a news story where your work on it is done after you've published it, a product has a much longer shelf life. So the question you ask yourself is how do I continuously improve it? And how do I make my users come back to it again and again? We hope you found this useful. Go check the other lessons from this foundation course. And if you have questions, post them on Planet Supply so that we can all learn together. Or join us on our office hour chats on Google Meet every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Singapore time. All of these links are on schoolofsupplies.com. Catch you in the next lesson.